All right. Hey, again, welcome. We're so glad you are here with us today. Easter is this beautiful Sunday in which we have big crowds and we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And since Easter, we began this series, this time of considering uh, the reality that the story continues. Now, while resurrection, while Easter is a pinnacle moment in the story of God and his work in the world, Jesus and his love for humanity and sacrifice, Easter celebrates resurrection and his pinnacle moment in the story of God. And yet, it wasn't the end of the story. So we have explored the way the story developed and continued. A story of Jesus having made a powerful promise to his followers. He said, uh, God is sending a great gift. The Holy Spirit will come. And at Pentecost, the story found in Acts 2, in fact, that very thing happens. That day, some 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, were baptized, and they said, I believe in a risen Savior. And on that day, the church went from, well, it began, and 3,000 people. And people started gathering in remarkable ways. Last week, we talked about the church gathered. Uh, and, and we considered, what does it mean to be a church now 2,000 years later that gathers? And we talked about our Sunday gatherings, and we talked about small groups, and we talked about table fellowship, and we talked about the beauty and opportunity in a church that gathers together and in, in being together as a people uh, in, in living lives and creating rhythms that invite us into the life and the work of Jesus. We talked about the church gathered And that is exactly the foundation we needed uh, to now move on to talk about a church that is sent. It is from a place of having been gathered that then we are invited out into the world, out into our neighborhoods, communities, and workplaces. We are a people who are sent. And here's the cool thing about the concept of uh, gathering and sending. Um, That's been God's design since the beginning. Uh, Think back to a man named Abraham, Abram at the time. God says, Abram, I want to bless you. I want to make you into a great nation. Uh, I'm going to bless you that you can be a blessing to all the world. Ready, break. And he says, go. Go to the place that I'm sending you, right? God gathers him. He he draws near to him, and he says, okay, now go. This is for you. Uh, Same thing happened in the life of Moses. God calls Moses in, and he says, uh, come to this burning bush. Take your sandals off because this is really holy ground. And, uh, and, And he says to Moses, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and free my people. God calls people in, and then he sends them out to participate in the things that he's doing in the world. And I believe it's the same for us as a church. We are called in to be sent out. We are gathered to be sent. Okay, so um, I was in Botswana, Africa. I was 17 years old. I just graduated high school. I'm considering what am I going to do. I felt kind of called to missions or something like that. So I spent a summer in Botswana, Africa with my aunt and uncle and their kids uh, who were on mission there for some 26 years in the end or something. And, um, and uh, my uncle called me in. He said, hey, Micah, come in here. And he said, I need you to go pick up the chicken for dinner. Uh, he, and he sent me out. And so as I walk next door to the school where apparently the chicken is sold, um, uh, I had no idea of what I was getting into. So I walk into this little room, 
and I uh, said, we need six chicken or whatever we needed. Uh, and um, he says, okay. And he reaches into this bin where there's a bunch of chickens running around. And, and I begin to realize this is about to get really weird. And he drops them in this contraption, and their head falls through a hole. And then he just starts cutting heads off. And I'm 17 years old, and I've never seen it. I thought chicken was, like, manufactured in a factory. I don't know what I thought. Um, but this was, this was bad. I mean, I, I had to step out of the room at that point, and I walked back in just in time to see him holding these headless chickens by the leg in this, uh, in this machine with a big wheel with, like, rods on it that, like, beat the feathers off the chicken. And I, I'm like, okay, I'm stepping out again. And finally... Finally, he, uh, he's done with this process. What do I call it? There's probably something great I could call it right now. He's finished. Chickens are finished, too. And, uh, and he brings them out, and I go home with the chickens. And here's the reality of uh, being sent. There's a lot of unknown, right? There's a lot of unknown. And I think we as a people, we as a church, as individuals, as we engage in the things of God, as we explore Christianity, have had those reality checks where it's like, this is not what I expected. And hopefully it's not near as gruesome or gory as my experience in Botswana, Africa. But let's be realistic. When we are sent, we are sent into a place that is uncomfortable, that is unknown, that is new. And this is the reality of engaging in the mission of God. We are sent into unfamiliar and uncomfortable places. Jesus, just before he would leave his apostles for the final time in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, uh, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, speaking of Pentecost, and we looked at that story a few weeks ago. Jump on the podcast if you'd like to catch up on that. Um, he says, the, um, uh, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is, this is the promise of Jesus. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is described um, as incredibly valuable in many different ways, our comforter, our guide, many different things that the, that the Spirit will do in our life. But Jesus, just before he left, he said to his followers, the Spirit is going to empower you to do what? To be my witness. Yeah, you'll be my witnesses. And, and he goes on to say, um, not just in Jerusalem, it's like these concentric circles. It will begin here where I speak to you. It will begin here where on the outskirts of this city I was crucified. It'll begin here, but it'll move out to Judea and Samaria, and it'll move out to the ends of the earth. And here is your task. Here is what I'm sending you to do to be a witness. That's interesting. You know, when I think of the term witness, um, it feels a little different than what I, I often think of my role as uh, um, an ambassador for Jesus, as other languages in Scripture. He says the word witness, and like in a courtroom, you think about a witness. Um, they're not the expert. The judge and the lawyers and these people are the experts. What's the witness? What's what's a witness's job when they're called into a courtroom? They're simply called to share the experience, the things that they saw, the things that they experienced, they're to witness, they're to tell the story of what they know, what they have seen, what they have experienced. And I think that's a beautiful and simple, we'll go a little deeper today, but that's a beautiful and simple starting point for our conversation of the mission of God uh, and, and our participation in it. 
Jesus says to his followers, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit so that you can move mountains. No, that's a different verse. He says, the power of the Spirit will enable you to be my witness. Tell of the things that you have seen and the things that you have experienced. And so, in fact, it does. Okay, here's like um, the most reductionistic uh, story of, of uh, church history and missions uh, that you will ever um, experience. Let's talk more about it. Uh, we'll go into more detail on this at other times. So for today, let me, let me continue the story. So Jesus says, go and be my witnesses. And in fact, they do exactly that. Um, the church begins to spread. It stretches like Jesus said it would outside Jerusalem, throughout Israel, and then it begins to stretch out to the ends of the earth, into other nations. And they have these uncomfortable experiences, Peter and Cornelius' house, as they first come to realize, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of Gentiles, those other people, and the church begins to ask deep and challenging questions. This is uncharted territory. This is fearful space that they are engaging in, but where the Spirit is at work, who are we to deny what God is doing? And so the church expands beyond uh, Israel begins to grow, and all the communities, people like Paul, are out on missionary journeys, uh, touring outside of Israel, and telling people the good news, the hope that is found in Jesus, and many, many people are coming to be saved. But this is a difficult season in church history. You see, uh, under Roman rule, uh, there was incredible persecution. And so the early church would often have to meet secretly in homes or meet in caves. We got to tour the catacombs years ago, um, and and, uh, just a remarkable story of a church that thrived under incredible persecution. But they kept on witnessing. In fact, 11 of the 12 apostles uh, would be martyred. Their life would end uh, either burned at the stake or crucified under Roman rule, telling them, if you will simply relent, if you will simply deny Jesus, uh, you can save your life. And, and none of them were willing to relent. They would witness, they would tell people who Jesus was and the experience they had with them. Well, in the 300s AD, um, Constantine, uh, the Roman emperor, became a Christian. He converted to Christianity. Now, this began a major shift in the church from hiding underground, from secret gatherings, from the passion of just table fellowship and the ways the church had operated for a few hundred years now. Uh, as, as Christianity became a state religion and endorsed by Rome rather than uh, persecuted by it, forms begin to change. Instead of catacombs underground, they begin to meet in uh, just fantastic, extravagant structures that were built by Rome for the church. And, and, and things begin to shift in this, right? When the forms begin to change, some of the heart of what's happening began to change as well. So good, we're not being persecuted and killed, but there's also some, some challenge in this shift from a small organic people not small in number, but small gatherings of people meeting in organic ways to now state religion. By the 500s, Rome was beginning to crumble, and uh, this is a period known as the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, uh, and things uh, became messy throughout the world, including in our Christian community. 
This is an era of witch hunts and violence acted out instead of the healing touch of Jesus, right? This is a challenging season, both in world and church history. By the 11th century, um, Christianity and uh, combined with government is engaged in the Crusades. This is a war against uh, the Muslim peoples, um, primarily trying to take back the Holy Lands, but many other wars and battles were sanctioned both by the church and the government in this crusade era, and all of a sudden the the cross is being held up at the front of battle lines. This is a messy season in our church history, in our story, and finally came the uh, season of colonialism, uh, just simply to find um, uh, when a powerful country directly controls a less powerful country. Um, and then takes and uses their resources to increase their own power or wealth. Now, that's a political term, uh, but quite often uh, colonization uh, was combined with religion and with Christianity because it was the Western Christian nations that were coming in and colonizing in these places. And often the excuse of colonialism was to bring civilization to these people, right, and and impose our Western culture's norms and standards as well as our religion, our Christianity. And this, again, was a messy season in church history. Now, uh, you will notice, and many of you are very versed in um, church history and are very familiar with this, uh, well, I have pointed out a number of the challenges in missions, in the sending efforts of the church. Uh, there's also remarkable and beautiful stories of organic uh, um, ministry and missions taking root in countries. Uh, in people of nations coming to know Jesus and leading their own people into this saving and beautiful new life. Um, But this is the story that we have inherited. Today, as we sit as a small church, as one of the many churches of the Tri-Cities, our nation, and this world, we recognize that we have inherited this story. And I just want to mention this as, um, you know, I kind of get why I have friends and I live in a community that quite often is very distrusting of the church. I kind of get it. Uh, we kind of brought it on ourselves at times, right? And so I, I, I come at the conversation of missions today and considering the past um, feeling this way. Uh, I apologize for the past wrongs because I take ownership in the fact that I am a Christian, and this is the history and the story. Uh, and yet we continue, yet, yet I continue to identify as a church in spite of wrongs that may have been committed, and yet I choose, and yet we choose to engage differently as the church in the world today. This is our chapter of the story. And just like in the past, remarkable things happened and tragic things happen. We get to participate in God's mission with an attitude that invites us, an attitude, a perspective, goals that invite us to write a beautiful chapter. God's writing the chapter, let me clarify, but he's writing it through us and working through us towards a beautiful new chapter in the story of Christianity. 
John 3.16. For some, it's a very familiar verse, but do not tune it out, because this is the tone we must set if we're to talk about missions, our sending into the world today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is only in the context of love, a God that loves and a God that sends us out in love, that we can appropriately engage the conversation of missions. Right? It is out of this idea uh, that God loved so deeply that he was willing to give of himself. He was willing to sacrifice. That's how deeply God loves that we begin this conversation. So it's very different than uh, many of our conversations or thoughts about missions or evangelism. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not simply about knocking on doors. It's not simply about having the right answers. It's not simply about convincing someone. It begins from this place that we learn to love the world like God loves the world, that we learn to love broken people and broken situations and broken communities in the way God loves these things, these people, these places. God loved the world so much that he would sacrifice. Jesus loved the world to the extent that he would sacrifice, and so we seek to engage in this conversation of a church that is sent with that as a foundation. That, that we seek to engage this world uh, knowing, and, um, knowing and perpetuating the love that God has for this world. I want to talk about a church that's sent in three primary categories today. Uh, I want to talk about the church global, uh, like as we did last week. We talked about the church that gathers in global perspective and in smaller and local perspectives. Uh, so today I want to talk about the church that is sent in three perspectives, the global aspect, the local aspect, and the personal aspect. And I don't want to overemphasize the, the personal. I don't know if you're part of these conversations, but in Western Christianity, we quite often so individualize Christianity or salvation that we miss the big pictures. Uh, so today I want to focus on all three of those, the global, the local, and the personal uh, application of being a sent people of a church who is sent. Matthew 28, Jesus says, um, as he is uh, commissioning his apostles, he says this, um, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Familiar passage to some of us. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, this is what I task you with. Go and make disciples. And, and the word disciple, by the way, just means a follower, uh, someone who is following Jesus. He invites us, go and make disciples in all nations baptize them, teach them to obey the things I have commanded, and I will not leave you alone in this journey. This is often called the Great Commission. It is our invitation into this story of what Jesus is doing. It is his statement that the story does not end with death on a cross. It will not end at resurrection. But the Holy Spirit will empower us to do something remarkable, and that is share with all of the world the hope that is found in Jesus. Now, as we talk about missions, and as we consider this mission as Jesus lays it out for us, um, 
what are missions? Like, what do you think of from your past experience that, that missions is? Um, often the term missions will uh, conjure in our minds this image of a Caucasian family moving to a third world country, which I don't love that terminology, that's why I put air quotes on it. Uh, a Caucasian family moving to a third world country, embedding with the people, and converting people there to Christianity. Often that's the image we'll get. And I want to say today that as we talk about global missions, that is a very skewed perspective. Read uh, in my master's program this book by Philip Jenkins. It's called The New Faces of Christianity. Did you know that by 2025, Africa and Latin America will vie for the most Christian continents? Um, he says this in the book, um, for the growing churches of the, of the global south, the Bible speaks to everyday real world issues of poverty and debt, famine and urban crisis, racial and gender oppression, state brutality and persecution. Like, and, and this is fascinating to me because as the gravitas of Christendom moves into the global south, uh, there's a very interesting connection with many of these nations be, be, with, with the things that are said in Scripture. Like the stories don't seem so foreign. We in the West, uh, we often find ourselves kind of explaining away or trying to re-understand or interpret the things that are wit- written in, in Scripture. And yet, this is a language and a story that speaks directly into the lives of our brothers and sisters becoming the majority of Christendom. Uh, Christopher Wright in The Mission of God says, We live in a multinational church and multidirectional mission. A multinational church and multidirectional directional mission. This is incredibly important because quite often, I mean, the story of um, uh, colonization and many other broken pieces in church history uh, revolve around this idea of nationalism, this conjoining of uh, who we are as a state and who I am as a Christian becomes so intertwined that we can't even perceive the difference in the two. And that's not to say that uh, some combination of that would be inherently wrong, but the problem is when we lose sight of what it is and we begin to impose not only our Western values but our faith equally in the lives of people. So uh, what's happening here both in the new phases of Christianity and in the mission of God um, is they're trying to reframe our perspective to realize that we are not the purveyors of mission solely. Did you know that Asia is sending many, many um, uh, missionaries to the United States? Did you know that we as a nation are recipients of missionaries? Now, this is beautiful. This is that multinational, multidirectional mission that they're trying to get at here. And I think we have a really interesting question to ponder, and I won't take long on this, but um, will we, as the Western Church, um, learn to listen to the growing majority of Christendom that is the global south? Like, we have always come in with this perspective, like, I will teach and I will, but there is a voice that I think we have a lot to learn from in Christianity, I think it's a remarkable question, but I need to move on. We've got this national or this uh, global concept of mission. And, and as we d- 
try to define it a little bit more. Um, a, light from the, a Light to the Nations by Goheen, he says this, um, at its best, missional describes not a specific activity of the church, but the very essence and identity of the church as it makes up its role in God's story in the context of its culture and participants in God's mission to the world. Further, he says, missions uh, reminds us that church needs to be oriented to the world, existing for the sake of others. Profound words. The church does not exist for itself. Missions does not exist uh, as an activity of the church, but it's the very essence, and we exist for the world This, I would dream, becomes the church's, the global church's perspective on missions. It's a multinational, multidirectional mission in which God is inviting people to be concerned for the world, to right wrongs, to bring justice and new hope and healing into this world. As we we then zoom in a little bit, we begin to look at local church perspective on missions. Uh, John thirteen thirty four says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said this is the one command, love each other. And this will be the result of loving. People will come to know that you're my followers. People come to know about Jesus to the extent that we learn to love. And so as we as a church have set out goals and continue to seek vision and, and the Spirit's guidance in how we will engage, engage in missions, here's a few principles that I think are key that we consider. Uh, first of all, we go into the community um, or the neighborhood or wherever it is that we're going, not to bring God to people, but instead to meet him there. Do you get the difference? Like, yeah, we, we go in not as though we have the solution, but to realize that God is at work in these neighborhoods and these communities. And so we go to meet God in that place, to be led by him to engage in the ways that he is opening doors, that people would come to know him and to find healing. It's easy in the church to develop this us versus them mentality, this mentality that says, you know, we are us and they are them and there's their problems as though we don't have our own problems, right? But this us versus them mentality must not be the way we look at engaging the world around us. Um, as a church, we've dreamed of, uh, of, of this, that we would be able to equip and to send our best, How easy is it to cling to those that seem the most valuable? Like, I don't know if we can do this without you. And yet the nature of what God has called us to in missions uh, is such that the best we could be doing is sending our best, right? Planting new churches and working overseas, engaged in whatever God is calling us. So we dream to live open-handedly with our people saying, if God is calling, we support you in this. That's the way missions will work best. 
Further, um, and this is kind of a simple one, but I felt like it's important to mention, uh, I believe that partnerships in our community will leverage our dollars, our time, and our talent much further uh, than us imagining we have the solution for a community. I believe partnerships with uh, our churches, with our nonprofits, these are going to leverage us much further in seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth and heaven. And finally, I'll mention this as we consider our local, our church perspective on missions. Um, we are, we live in this time and this place. Now that's a really simple concept. You probably know that you live here today in 2019 in the Tri-Cities, Washington. And yet to be rooted in this time and this place is a whole nother conversation. But we are a people who chooses to be rooted in this time and this place, to know our community, to care for it, and to engage in it. This is the invitation of God. This is the reason we are here today. He desires to work through us, a people who are sent into these neighborhoods, into these communities. This is our time and place. And so we choose a posture of rootedness, saying, these are our people. These are my people, and I will engage here. And finally, uh, our personal involvement in the mission of God. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. If faithful stewards, uh, uh, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who is speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful passage. This is ascending. This is our call for each of us in life. Whatever you have, um, received, use it to serve other people. As we speak and as we engage and as, as we act, we do all of this for the glory of God, that the people can come to know God, a God who loves them, Jesus, who would sacrifice for them. And so we engage in our personal lives in two primary ways in word. And this is usually the most intimidating conversation of evangelism, maybe, as you've heard it called. Um, uh, I don't feel able to articulate my faith, right? I can't convince anyone. I won't win this argument. And so we find ourselves fearful of speaking up. Remember what Jesus said to his followers uh, in, in Acts 1? He said, will you be my witness? Will you just tell what you've discovered of me? Like, you have a story. Jesus has impacted your life in one way or another. And your story is powerful and valuable as we live as witnesses in this world. So we engage in word and we engage in action. Everyday acts of kindness. I don't know how often you find yourself, like, just with that that feeling, that pull, that tug on your heart that says, I'm supposed to engage right? God is inviting me to do this. I had a really stark experience with that a few weeks ago. We were sitting and having um, coffee at a coffee shop here in town, and uh, we were sitting there talking, and I had noticed as I drove in, um, there was a homeless person sitting in the grass just by the driveway there, and, uh, and, and there on the left, you, you see this individual sitting there, and uh, for whatever reason, God really drew my attention towards that individual. And as I sat there for an hour and a half in this meeting, 
Um, I'm, I'm looking uh, over this way out the window, front and center. That's the, that's the one main thing I can see out the window. Uh, but what's fascinating is we have those little window decals, uh, stickers on the back of our car. And um, as I looked through the window, there was a reflection to our car sitting over in the parking lot over here with the Vine Church logo on it. And I sat there the entire meeting seeing this logo hovering over the head of this individual out there. I was like, okay, I, I just can't pass up on this one, right? Uh, this, this is not the time to say no uh, when, it, when it comes to engaging. So after our meeting, I um, went and bought some food. And I went out there and, um, and uh, I brought the food out and I said, hey, I just wanted to be sure you had something to eat this morning. And um, and we got into a conversation about uh, just just life. Um, yeah, I have enough blankets and coats. It's cold, but the weather's getting a little bit better. And in the end, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to change much of the circumstances of this individual's life, but I felt called to go and share just a meal. And uh, and I got to say this: um, Hey, God loves you. We love you, and I want you to know we're praying for you. And I'll keep my eye out. And if I see you out here again, I'll come and we'll chat some more. Um, and, and she was so grateful. Like, how often are people in these situations seen? And I only give that as an example because it was so stark just a few weeks ago that it was time to engage. Whatever it looks like in our lives, we are a sent people. And that's uncomfortable territory. Remember, we talked about it. Uh, Any time we're sent to somewhere new, it will be new. It will be uncomfortable, and it will be challenging. And that's not easy for me in any way, shape, or form. But we are a sent people. Sometimes it'll look like that. And sometimes it'll look like a prayer over the lunch table at our workplace. Sometimes it'll look like getting involved in some sort of organization in our community that assists young people. Our middle schoolers worked with Young Lives this last week. Um, I, I mean, there's so many opportunities to engage in this community, the community that God has placed us in, inviting us to participate in his mission. So... This is the church, the people of God, engaged in his work of healing this world. In love, we choose to participate. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. Uh, Father, I thank you for this place, not just the school we get to meet in, but the community in which you have embedded us. So, Father, may we, uh, as embedded people, Engage in the things that you are inviting us to. Engage in your work of hope and healing. Father, may we see people with the love that you see people with. Uh, may we engage in the places that we work, that we shop, our neighborhoods, this community. Father, thank you for that invitation. Thank you that your spirit goes with us and empowers us to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to close today with this benediction with these words. Um, So may we go to all nations, including our own, and including our own neighbors, sharing the good news about Jesus. In love, may we live as witnesses to God's love and his goodness. Have a blessed week.